Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Here in Colorado and in the Mountain West, and I think some of the surrounding states, we have a really cool gas station franchise. Gosh. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? It's terrible. The come and go gas stations. that is awful. Spelled not with a C. Not with a C. But with a K, but U and M. K-U-M. And go. And go. Come and go gas station. Come and go. When we when You're we first so- moved here like two decades ago, I was like I well, I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe somebody named it that. I'm sorry, I'm going to correct you because okay. of my memory. Yes. They came to Colorado. Oh, we were already here? We were here. They well, started it was a long time ago. Yes. I remember we have a, a very car sick child. They all they went through phases. But it was a Christmas tree event, and it was a brand new one, so they were just starting to come <laughs> come into Colorado. Oh, it was a brand new come and go. It was a brand new come and go, but we had never seen them before. They weren't in the city, and I don't think in there's a lot of them around the city. They would city. immediately become prostitution rings if they were <laughs> in the city. Well, your sister-in-law and family were in town a few Christmases ago, and she saw that, and she your was like... Si- your sister My sister-in-law, yeah. sorry. My sister-in-law <laughs> and your sister. And she was like, that is awful! And well, when you, we passed it... You mentioned the car sick child. I remember I remember he threw up in a bag in, in the car, and then we, we just had to get the puke bag out of the car, and so we went... <laughs> We had never bought gas at the come and go. I refused to buy gas at the come and go. Or and anything. You, and you got to wonder, it's got to hurt them to some degree. Or maybe maybe the perverts, of the, there's enough perverts in the world that uh, it actually improves their business by having that name. But I cannot believe somebody actually signed off on that name. But anyway, we had a bag of puke and we went and took it and threw it in the trash can at the come and go. And I remember looking over at you and being like, yeah, just making a deposit at the come and go, Sherry. Yeah. I don't even think we let him get out and go clean up. <laughs> and I mean, he made it all in the bag, but I don't think we even let him go into the building. Ugh. Well, that's a good icebreaker, Sherry. Today we are going to talk about the hard to talk aboutable. Talk about the hard to talk aboutable. We're going to talk about sex again. But uh, this time, rather than uh, spending a lot of time focused on our sex life specifically okay. and the way alcoholism ravaged our sex life specifically. We're going to talk more um, about just what we've learned from uh, not just our experience, the experience of others, the experience of people we talk to, and also the experience of some experts. Um, We're going to talk about the stuff that we learned as we were trying and struggling to restore intimacy in our relationship. The first, there, there are a couple of Emilys that became important in our lives at some point along the way. I don't know if we were, we just figured anyone with the name Emily had to be a sex expert, uh, or if these two people just randomly, who uh, we found through various channels and means and recommendations, just happened to coincidentally be named Emily. 
But both of the people that we're going to talk about today are named Emily. The first one, uh, she has a podcast called Sex with Emily. Now, that's kind of a clickbaity title, don't you think, Sherry? Especially if some, like, dude sees, oh, Sex with Emily, and then and Emily is, she's a lovely woman, very attractive woman, and picture of herself, you know, just her head, a fully clothed picture of herself uh, on the little title block of her it's podcast. It's a little tantalizing picture. It's got some little, well, you know. She's wearing lipstick or something. No, I mean, you know, just she looks a little like, I mean, she has on like a tank top, a silky tank top. And but there's, I'm not there's sure nothing. that's right. You might well, be one right. of the pictures I've You've seen. seen a picture, okay. Yeah. But no doubt about it, the title of her podcast it's is very... tantalizing. Good word, tantalizing. Yeah. Sex with Emily, pretty clickbaity. I think we should title this episode Sex with Sherry and Matt. How's that sound? Clickbaity. Clickbaity. Well, or avoidance. It's definitely I would probably avoid it you would if I were to steer be searching clear. about In I'm fact, I wanted to, to avoid with sex with Emily a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You also wanted to avoid sex with Sherry and Matt quite a bit. Yes. So but uh so so Emily, she she is um the the core of her message that's what we want to talk about. The core of her message that she delivers. Dr. Emily Morse is her name. So mm-hmm. I think that's a PhD, I believe. I'm not 100% yeah, sure. But I, definitely I, lots of education. I listened to her on the Dak Shepard yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's, that's where we first yes. heard her. She's very well educated and has, is a therapist and then specialized in sex therapy. Um, so she, you know, this was an avenue in which she started out even I think in her undergrad like going towards a degree in psychology so we learned a lot from her the, the core messages that she delivers over and over throughout her podcast which is mostly very entertaining I think it, the core core messages include high school sex education is complete crap mm-hmm. which we've talked about on this podcast but it's always nice to hear a highly trained expert validate that assertion. You know, basically, there the way we teach sex ed. You know, there's no talk about pleasure and how women receive pleasure. Um, you know, so the males don't have any idea how to how to help women in that regard, um, and the women don't know how to do it themselves. And the women don't know how to, to say what they want. And when I say women, when we're talking about high school sex ed, we're yes. talking about girls, basically. Girls. There, there's, no, there's no training. And so what results from that is females tend to learn to use sex transactionally, tend to learn to use sex to get what they want. Um, they aren't necessarily enjoying the, the act, but they've learned if they are willing to do it, then they can get the attention of the males or they can get, you know, they can get something as simple and awful as just a ride to the place they want to go or they can, you know, get a uh, drink spot for them at the bar, things like that. So, or that's how you think that you keep a boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. As simple as that. Like, putting out. Because there's a lot of pressure from horny young men. Yes, absolutely. So as a result of dysfunctional high school sexual education... 
among other places. Women tend to use sex transactionally. And men, as I said a minute ago, don't learn about female pleasure. They just they just think that, um, you know, th there's a lot of pressure I remember from being an adolescent male, and I don't think anything's changed. You know, there's a lot of talk about how big is your penis and how long can you last. And those are the only really two measuring sticks, pardon the little bit of pun there, on how much of a man you are when it comes to pleasing a woman. And, you know, what, what we've learned through things like the Sex with Emily podcast, but certainly um, through our own experience and through reading and, you know, what we've learned is that those two are probably on the lesser important side of, of things when it comes to pleasure for females and, and creating a, a, not only a good sexual experience, but definitely a good intimate experience. Those two things really don't matter very much. Um, another one of the, the core messages that Dr. Emily Morse delivers is the importance of self-love and masturbation. She is big on talking about masturbation. Now, if, yes. our, if only our listeners could, if this Lots could be video instead of audio and you could see the look on Sherry's face as I said the word masturbation, because I know how much she wants to talk about masturbation. Which that much, that, exactly that much. Um, yeah, but she does talk about the importance of self-love and masturbation. She talks about it over and over and over. And I think it's... Go ahead, Sherry. I, the thing that really irritated me was the whole like self-love equated to masturbation. And I just felt like that just did not hit the mark. I don't feel like... You should use the word self-love and then making it be a sexual pleasure because I feel like love is separate from sexual pleasure in a lot of ways. Like you don't, you can get sexual pleasure from a lot of other things where you're not in a loving, committed relationship or there are different types of loves. So just, I don't know. I just didn't like putting those two back to back. I know, I mean, like... I understand your point. I, I think I don't perhaps think you... the point that Dr. Emily is trying to make, you know, again, there's a huge de gender difference. You know, you talked about horny young men. You know, they know exactly what they want, what's going to feel good, and how to get it. They don't know how to deliver pleasure to women, and women don't know how to receive pleasure or what to ask for either. So there's that disconnect. I think there's a disconnect when it comes to masturbation, too. I venture to guess, I've never seen statistics on this, but every 13-year-old boy has figured out how to masturbate. Please. Maybe 14. I don't know. Some... Stop. We have boys. All right. But they all figure that out. It's not... Nobody needs to teach them. Um, you know, it, it's, it just naturally happens. And I think that's not the case necessarily with females. And, and even if they figure it out on their own, um, the shame that's associated with it, I think males just break through that shame and say, you know, so what if some Catholic priest told me not to do this? I'm doing it anyway. But I think for females, they stray away from masturbation. And so Dr. Emily's message is there's nothing shameful about it. You need to learn to love yourself and love your body. And, you know, in a world that's full of body shaming, right? And things like that. Don't buy into that message. It's okay. Do you, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I think that there still probably is embarrassment, maybe not shame, but embarrassment from, from boys 
Um, and I think that just societally, that the yes, you're speaking the message that there is more shame and there is more level of uncomfort when there is a woman who is, you know, strong sexually, like shows signs of, of enjoying and, um, sex or, you know, so there probably is a lot more shame associated with that, but I think that there's probably some embarrassment and shame in boys as well. Do you think more males masturbate than females? Yes. By a lot? I don't know. I don't know either, but my guess is, yeah, by a ton or at least more frequently. Yeah, I think because it's all more. I mean, for me, I mean, all you got to do is listen external. to stand-up comedians, and it, well, I think that yeah, if and the I messages think... they're delivering are even remotely true, which I believe most comedy is rooted in a lot of truth. Most of the comedians I well, like, because anyway. I, I think that they're just more willing to talk about it, and it's become some sort of you know like a stereotype, right? Yeah, but it's more, and there's the external parts of pleasure that. Are easier for men to obtain. Absolutely. Well, you know, I yeah. mean, okay, okay. Like it's more, you know, it's just external. Like you brush up against something. Yeah. And yeah. Especially young. Yeah, and young even men like are yeah. just kind of always ready to go. If the wind blows, you know, at more than six miles an hour, they're ready to go. So, you know, I think that's a valid point. But I also think Dr. Emily's point is valid. That, you know, there there are, I think there are an inordinate number because of the way we are raised, because of the shame that is associated with topics like masturbation. I think there are a lot of women that are afraid of it or, and here I am some, you know, 48 year old guy talking about this and I'm mm-hmm. getting extremely uncomfortable because I realize I should just shut up. I sh- yeah. This isn't my area to go into. I get that. But I've listened to Dr. Emily enough and and I buy I buy what she's selling. I so, know. Yes. So <laughs> I, I think I think it's an important message. The the message of self love and masturbation. I think I think that's a level of freedom, a level of comfort with yourself. I mean I, I don't think I don't think it's f- just for, you know, masturbating for the sake of masturbating. How many times can I say masturbation? I don't know. In about 10 it's seconds. It's probably like it? been a lot of these last 14 I don't, painful I, long minutes. I don't think it's just doing the act for the act of doing the act. I think it's for a level of comfort with self and pride in self. Oh, okay. So you think that you can only be proud of yourself if you're a masturbator? No, but I think it helps. Okay. I don't know. Comfort, pride. As you can see, listeners, this is an uncomfortable topic for Sherry and I to discuss. And See, you mean here. What's that? You said see the listeners. (laughs) As you can hear, you can't see, which is good, which is good. Uh, The last message, the last core message for Sex with Emily's Dr. Emily Morris is she loves to talk about lubrication. Oh, what about all the toys she advertises? I mean, I always feel well, like you got to pay the bills. I yeah, mean, I, I well, and I feel like that. all the time she's talking about a toy, or always one of her callers has a toy. She talks about a lot all of toys, kinds but of toys. but 
there's you know you got to use lube there's different kinds of lube for different different reasons and different purposes and Sex she is all about the lube. By a lube of this week now lube you know week. caution listeners dr emily does get way i don't know i feel like Trisky. an 800 year old man when i say the word racier like i feel like a prudish old man but well i will say i am a friskier prude, okay and i find that a lot of the people that she's and I know the the reason she's putting out these messages and it's more clickbaity and it's more like ooh let's it see it draws what in this, an audience it draws in an audience but it's also like so you don't feel uncomfortable or embarrassed about what you might like mm-hmm. in bed it's just she was a little bit more kinkier is that the word no I don't. I mean, all the words come to mind, Matt, because okay. I am a prude. I'm trying to be gentle. I don't want anybody you're, to kind of pretty, come racing back that they're like Emily's cousin and they love her. You're pretty straight laced, but I mean, I applaud her. I applaud that, her for the places she was willing to go. Right. It makes me uncomfortable to listen to. Sometimes I can't even imagine how uncomfortable it must make you to listen to. Sometimes it is painful. Yeah. So, so warning, you know. So she, she is covers. Ra- let's just say lots she's of topics, lots racier, of topics. And if you are easily embarrassed, there will be. And if you don't, I, I don't want to say like if you're lacking imagination, or if you just haven't had a lot of experience with sex outside of the norm, there's going to be things that you are shocked or don't understand. Or yeah, I had to look up a few words. For sure. I guarantee you, if Dr. Emily was ever to listen to this conversation, (laughs) she would immediately recommend masturbation as a icebreaker to get comfortable with yourself (laughs) so that you'd be comfortable with these other topics. She would tell me which kind of lube and what kind of (laughs) toy and be sure and do it in the bathroom where where my kids are just right outside the door. That was one of the calls. Oh, yeah. Uh, That was a terrible call. She does take callers, so if you've got some kinky questions, you can give Dr. Emily Morse a call. But I'm a fan of hers. Um, We we don't listen to her regularly anymore. We got got a lot lot out of her messages, her core messages, um, and, and I'm a fan. But just be prepared. There is some stuff you might have to... You might have Look to up. have the Urban Dictionary <laughs> close at hand, <laughs> at least if you're like prudish like yeah, us. Yeah, I think that I think that she draws an audience in of making everyone feel comfortable about their own sexuality and making Sherry feel uncomfortable. <laughs> making me feel so uncomfortable <laughs> to the point That's, when I would that like, might be her target, <laughs> like her target. Like, let's talk about something. Let's see how would Sherry feel <laughs> uncomfortable. Great, let's and go. Embarrassed in the car by myself. Yeah. I would drive around and I would make sure the windows were up in case anybody was sitting next to me at the stoplight when I was listening to one of her podcasts. Yes, I am. I'm anticipating that you're going to wash my mouth out with soap for all the number of times I've said masturbation after this podcast, let alone yeah, some of the things you hear there. But anyway, so that's the Sex with Emily podcast we did. Sure that wanna, somebody's fetish. I want to shed some... But if you're having, if you're having trouble with... With intimacy or, you know, what has happened to you as a result of a poor start to your sexual education when you were an adolescent and a teenager. If any of that is carrying over the transactionality of, of your viewpoint on sex, 
any of any of the topics that are in her core, you know, giving her a listen, do so uh, with caution, obviously with awareness that you're going to hear a lot of stuff. Don't have the but, kids in the room. Yeah, don't don't have the kids in the room. Don't have the kids in the room when you get her emails because I. I got on her email list for a while, and the email subject lines, I was like, oh my God, if anyone's ever behind me when I receive one of these emails, that's going to be bad. Now, I will say, she did do a master class that was... Oh, master <laughs> no, 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 I knew you were going to say that, but there was a master class that she offered, and it seemed like it was more sort of that room, I don't know, it didn't seem like it was like a lot of like her podcast, because again, she is a very... Tr- well trained and accredited tons of respect therapist. Yeah. So, so I feel like her podcast is just a little racy, but I think her education and the blogs and things like that are all very educational. Absolutely. All right, Emily number two that we want to talk about, Doctor Emily Nagoski. I think that's pronounced correctly, Nagoski. It's N A G O S K I. Dr. Emily wrote a book that has just gone crazy popularity-wise called Come As You Are. Um, she has a PhD is... in human sexuality. She has taught um, sexual education at the college level. I think maybe other levels as well. But certainly she taught a lot of college courses on human sexuality and sex education for many years. She, like myself, is an Indiana University graduate. But so, amazingly, you had no idea. I think we were the, there at the same time, too. The department in which she studied, you had no idea that the Kinsey um, Institute was within the university, Indiana University. And I was like, it is like one of the biggest sexual education study foundations, and you didn't know it was in your alma mater. Think how much better our sex life could have been if I had just taken like one class. I, I went to campus there, and I avoided. Like I didn't even go on. That, that doesn't block. surprise anyone. <laughs> yes. You, Prudish Sherry won't even go on the block where the Kinsey Sex Institute is. Well, and I had run across her from another book that has been very popular within the female community called Burnout. Burnout, which actually came after Come As You Are, I believe. I don't remember. Burnout's right over there on my desk. Yes. Um, Close at hand. Yes. Um, It it is her second book. And she wrote that with her sister. Uh Uh-huh. And I felt like it kind of took it was kind of a I read that one first and then come as you are second we read but I thought it was a good um icebreaker to the point of just some patriarchal patriarchal societal norms Easy for you to say. that kind of like withhold women from feeling comfortable about maybe their own inner strengths and that could be sexual or not it was it was a it was a it was kind of a a different take on it, but I think it was a for me it was a good like eye opener to uh, understand some of the societal norms that hold us back. Excellent, yeah. I you and I read "Come as You Are" together. I think you had read it before, right? I read I had half read of it or something. Some of it, yeah. And then we read it together, and I just can't recommend that enough for any couple that is struggling with intimacy in an alcoholic marriage that's in recovery. Now, if you don't have sobriety as part of your relationship, I think you're wasting your time, honestly, with everything that we're talking about here. I think sobriety, this is, we say it all the time, that sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it's a prerequisite. I think it's definitely a prerequisite for doing the kind of work that we're talking about here. Repairing the intimacy 
um, which it, their trust and intimacy go hand in hand. Those are both long, long, long processes. It takes a long time to start to, to rebuild the trust. And the trust has to be there for the intimacy to be there. And so this is not uh, early sobriety. Uh, I've been sober for 90 day kind of stuff. This is this is further down the a road. long haul. Yeah, and, and definitely I, a long haul. And I would recommend this for any young couple or a young woman, not like... I don't think I would give it to a 16-year-old, but I think I would certainly gift that book to a 20-year-old woman. Yes, or you know, and I'd or say a or a male even. if you could get him to read it, but back to the two issues that we talked about with the dysfunctional and maybe dysfunctional is too harsh, but I just think it's backward the way we teach sexual education in this country. Um anyone that's I think that's right, right in that early 20s would be a great time to read her book because she does cover tons of issues with anatomy, with the human body, with how it's you know how it works, um, where I, pleasure is supposed to come from, all of that, and just can make you so much more comfortable. Yeah, both as a male and as a female. She really celebrates how everybody is an individual, and every body, literally B O D Y, is different and differently shaped, and all you know. What was her all, mantra that was in there over all and over? The, all the same parts, but in a different what? All the same parts organized mm-hmm. in a different way, or something yeah. like that. So I, can't I mean, I forgot. I mean, it, yeah, I know. Um, but the anatomy is really educational because I feel like it's more in depth, um, and it kind of explains how starting out in life there are similarities in you know the reproductive system, and then how then as the child grows in utero, things change, and then becomes male and female. Um, I just thought that it was educationally very, um, very spot on, but it wasn't to the point where you felt like you couldn't really understand what she was talking about. No, she does a fantastic job. Keeping it in like common language and not over your head. Kind of to your point, she talks about the biological similarities between men and women, and it's just that... That kind of Y chromosome is the only thing that separates, you know, one gender from the other. And right down to the fact, you know, with pictures of the anatomy and maybe that drawn sounds childish. Drawn pictures. Drawn yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah, not, not photographs. Yeah, not photographs. But, you know, she talks about how the clitoris and the penis are basically, they start out as this, the same thing and have the same... Um, sort of purpose, kind of the same purpose, but definitely... A similar function um, in in the sexual organ side of things. I mean, not, not the urinary tract, but boy, mm-hmm. I'm getting off track here a little yeah. bit. But anyway, the clitoris and the penis are the same thing. Um, one is female, the other is male. Um, one gets obviously larger than the other. Um, but but yeah, the the similarities that she talked biological similarities she talks about are really really interesting. All the same parts arranged in different ways but she even these like, are her core messages yeah. that she goes into go and ahead she Sherry. even she even like gets to the point of talking about the the origin of the name of um female anatomy which were words that were meant to kind of shame and hide and mm, you know yeah. so it's like not only do women already feel subordinate in a lot of ways she even says that, you know, because they're male doctors or, you know, that we're coming up with these, these, the terms for the body 
that they were making it seem shameful. So, you know, it just goes back for so long. So I think that, like I said, that would be something that would be a good read for a young adult. Another of Dr. Emily Nagoski's core messages is that high school sex ed is crap. She doesn't say it in those words. She probably Dr. Pretty Emily close. Morse, but they they both concur on that 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 we don't learn the right things and it's it's an anti-productive endeavor that we take part in um, the way we teach teach kids in their late teens about about sexual education. She also uh, talks about the importance of self-love and this is Dr. Emily number two that is a big, big fan of masturbation, Sherry. But I will say this and I know that it's probably an interpretation thing that there are several times in her book, Come As You Are, where it talks about doing things at your own comfort level and what what works well with you and your partner where I feel like maybe Dr. Emily so um, podcast sex with Emily so open about it almost kind of makes you feel like, well, if you aren't doing that, then you're doing everything wrong. Hmm. If you aren't masturbating, you're That's doing everything wrong. Okay. Whereas Emily, Dr. Emily in the come as you are book is like, well, maybe you learn how to do the masturbation thing. So you know what self pleasure is and you know, get to know your body parts. Then you can express it well to your partner and then if you'd rather your partner be your, you know, orgasmic outlet, then, and that's what you both want, then that's the way to do it. Orgasmic, orgasmic outlet. I like that. It's good. But so, no, your point is very well taken. Um, the Come As You Are book, Dr. Emily Nagoski, does not, it doesn't feel clickbaity. You know, it, it feels like she almost is selling... I don't know, hundreds of thousands of books, maybe a million. I don't know how many of these books she sold, but a lot. Almost feels like she's selling all these books almost in spite of herself. Like the message itself is carrying the weight. Um, it's it's very useful. There's a ton of content. Uh, and it's not, it's not like an advertising ploy. Mm-hmm. There's, she doesn't make it racy sounding so that more people will buy it. Um, it's, although the, the book cover is pretty, pretty racy. I don't remember. I actually, the prude that I am and because it was (laughs) in our house where we have children and it, I put, uh, I, I think I put scrapbooking paper around it to cover up the book. Yeah. Didn't you used to do that in like. Yeah, with your school books, didn't you used to cover them with paper to oh, protect wraps. them? Yeah, yeah, they were like so like they wouldn't skins, get damaged. And yeah, because get... you had to turn them back in at the end yeah. of the year. But yeah, so if you're roughly in the same age range as Sherry and I, you might be familiar with putting wraps on. Actually, uh, books it and, was something that was Sherry did that, but but it, but I applauded that because it it does yeah. look like if it was lying a around the house on the front yeah. cover, so. That's another thing Dr. Emily Nagoski taught me, the difference between a vulva and a vagina. Mm-hmm. Very proud of that information. Well, and again, I think it's written from a very educational standpoint. Absolutely. Since she is a professor. Absolutely. And she wants people to learn and feel comfortable. And I think that the book does repeat itself in a lot of ways, but I think it's just a good reminder in case you've put it aside and you've forgotten some of the things. One statistic that's in the book that... I found fascinating and was really honestly quite helpful 
in our marriage, uh, knowledge to know, to know that we weren't doing anything wrong, that there's nothing wrong with us. Um, Dr. Emily says that 80% of women can't orgasm from penetration, from sexual penetration. There has to be clitoral stimulation, um, significant clitoral stimulation. So again, I hate to just dwell on this, but I'm so angry about it. The way we teach sexual education, that's not a topic that comes up at all. You know, the, what teenage boys and girls, I think, think of when they think of sex is a penis inside a vagina just pounding away, intercourse. And so one of the really core messages that Dr. Emily talks about is that for 80% of women, that ain't getting the job done. And I'm actually surprised it's 80%. I would think that... It was higher? It was higher. Well, like that, that couldn't happen. So I guess you've just tipped your hand as to, um, whether you're in the majority or not on that particular. I'm just saying, cause I mean, after reading the books and listening to the podcast yeah. and all that we learn as a, you know, 48, 49, 50 year old person, just learning all a little bit more about sex <coughs> that, um, excuse me, that, yeah, that that would well, be like that. So if 80% of women you know, it, it, clitoral stimulation is how you reach orgasm. You would think that would be common knowledge. You would think that would be something that everyone should know or everyone would want to know. And the fact that it's not widely known, and she talks about it in the book about the fact that this might surprise you, but here's the truth. Um, Patriarchal society. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's beyond disgusting. Because there wasn't a need for women to have pleasure. Like, there was no point because the men ejaculate would impregnate the woman and the woman shouldn't feel pleasure. So that's where the, the, her other book, Burnout, kind of started to introduce you to. And there are bits and pieces about that in Come As You Are. Just that it wasn't thought of or recognized or warranted. They They didn't see the need, the function about it and again it being you know like why what does it matter to to women about this well i'm gonna tell you who it doesn't matter to a drunk dude (laughs) no it's important it's important because you know this podcast is about alcoholic relationships and Really, it's not all about masturbation and self-love. Did you want to talk about masturbation? Thirty-four minutes of it was about that. We can talk more about masturbation. That's okay. We can go on. Let's move on to different topics. So, you know, you're talking about a relationship where um, the one or both parties in the relationship are often intoxicated during sex. Maybe always intoxicated during sex. I know I've heard from many women who are not alcoholics that. For them to engage in sex, they had to have a little something in them Mm -hmm. because it was too awful and disgusting for them otherwise. So when you take a population that isn't educated to begin with, this 80% number, and then you make them all drunk when they're trying to do this, is there any hope at all for women's satisfaction? Like any at all. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to my stand-up comedian, you know, reference where I get all my facts from stand-up comedians, but, you know, there's no shortage of jokes about, um, you know, sex being one-sided 
and there being no pleasure for women. If you think of some of the, I, I can think of movies that I've watched where, you know, they show a woman on the bottom and a man on top going to town and they show the woman's face and she's drifting off thinking about, you know, what she's going to do the next day or, you know, something. Grocery it, list. Is it good for you? Yes. Yes. Keep going. You know, I'm uh, not even like, are you done yet? You know, that kind but of. But you don't say that because that'll just throw them off. Exactly. But. Sounds like I've been there before. It's ex- yes. <laughs> it's exceedingly valid. Um, you know, th- this is just a fundamental lack of education and maybe, maybe all well, of our listeners not- know, know this stuff and. They're just going to be like, yeah, Matt, you are the only un- uneducated one. Well, I think but I don't think so. I think that we know from other tidbits of research and, you know, it's not like it, it's not like we only listened and read to the, you know, the two Emilys. Um, <clears throat> I know that it's, it's not uncommon. I mean, there's a podcast that I've listened to, um, that it's the, um, you're expert, the ad- oh, yeah. addict, and the expert, expert addict, and, and the betrayed, betrayed, and they read that book together as a couple as well. Oh, I didn't know that. And so you know, it talks a lot about that. And I've and their podcast is based on the fact that he was in a he was a sex addict, right? And so that's what drew me in when we were trying to work on this intimacy part of the relationship. So it's very, I mean, their expert is their therapist. And so it's very common that nobody knows what the hell they're doing out there in this world of sexuality. And Except the guys. The guys know what they need to to get their rocks I, off. I mean, but That's honestly, do you think know. so? Because, like, when it was just drunk sex. Yeah. And you felt like you needed to be intimate with me to have this connection. And really there wasn't intimacy, but you felt like sex was going to be that. Do you feel like it was it was what you were needing? Or did you feel a little shallow and empty? So it's not really... Well, I felt... Sh- so when I felt shallow and empty was once I got sober and we continued those patterns. That's when I was like, oh my God, this horrible, you know, wifely duty in air quotes sex that we're having is terrible. It makes me feel awful about myself. When I was drinking, I just didn't think, you know, when I was drinking, it was, it, it had a very similar role that alcohol had. It was temporary pain relief. So then you would feel like shit need. So let's have sex and then I'll feel better. Not worried about how it's going to make you feel. That's a disgusting, horrible thing to say, but it's true. Um, so sometimes, and, and sometimes more... I was even so oblivious that I thought, you know, that that was intimacy and that that would make you feel good, you know, uh, even though I knew in my heart of hearts that you were not enjoying it at all, but I would, I'd want to feel close to you just like I'd want to pour another drink. It was, it was temporary, unsatisfactory pain relief that worked to an extent until it stopped working. And when it stopped working, instead of stopping, I just kept trying to have more. Just like when the alcohol stops working to relieve the pain, you just drink more, mm-hmm. even though it's not working anymore. It's diabolical. Another one of Dr. Emily Nagoski's core messages from Come As You Are, this one I think is really important. 
This was really helpful to us. She talked about sex drive. And, and certainly there are differences in the sex drive in any relationship, almost any relationship. There's, it's very infrequent that the both partners in a relationship line up perfectly sex drive-wise. And certainly, you know, I think the stereotype has merit. Um, there are cases where the female has a stronger libido than the male, but that's rare. In more cases than not, it's the male that has a higher sex drive than the female. Um, but what she talked about is, you know, you don't have to just live with the sex drive imbalance that you have. There are things you can do to try to bring bring your sex drive closer together with your partner. She talked a lot. She uses this automobile analogy. She talks about the accelerator and the brakes. And there are things that happen contextually in our lives that accelerate our sex drive. And there are things that happen that have our sex drive slam on the brakes. And those things are not things that necessarily take place in the bedroom when sex is imminent, or at least one partner is is working real hard to make sex be imminent. The, the accelerator and the brakes stuff happens earlier in the you know, relationship outside the bedroom. And again, she talks about context a ton to the point where I almost felt like we were reading in circles. I got, I got confused at one point between, she makes some really subtle distinctions between things that I couldn't necessarily even keep up with. We would read small chunks each night in bed together before we went to sleep. So we'd read like four pages or five pages a night. Um, so that's not the most kind of fluid way to read, I suppose. But although I, although some of the detail is lost on me and I can't recall it, I am, I remember the important bits. I remember the importance of, of context. And, you know, like, like one of the things she talked about, some people with a super high sex drive, I think typically a male, you know, might, might see, um, someone of the opposite sex in a bikini and it doesn't matter where they are, that's going to be exciting for them. Whereas, you know, someone with a, a lower sex driver with more, um, frequency of tapping the brakes on the sex drive, you know, the context makes all the difference in the world. If that person is, um, in their bathing suit in a safe place where they're supposed to appropriately be wearing a bathing suit and where, where the kids aren't around Mm -hmm. and you're on vacation and it's a romantic vacation, then that, that bathing suit might be, uh, might be a sex driver for you, might, might, might feel good, might be an accelerator, but if you're you're in a bathing suit while you're, yeah, at a funeral (laughs) and you're taking care of the kids, then that's actually going to be stomping on the brakes. Yeah. So to put that in really kind of layman's context, a, a horny dude can, you know, seize a boob and they're going to get excited. doesn't matter what the context is. Whereas, um, you know, maybe their, their wife or their significant other, uh, doesn't, doesn't find the, uh, you know, something that that's meant to be sexy, to be very sexy if the kids are crying and, um, you know, they haven't gotten any sleep that night. That makes sense, Sherry. Yes. You know what would make even more sense if you just read her book, and we're not here to yeah. sell her book necessarily, but we do highly recommend it. 
But so the importance of context as it relates to things that accelerate or, or put on the brakes for sex drive is just super important. And I think it's something that for me for a long time escaped me. You know, I thought if I was walking through the kitchen and you were working on something that for a long time, I thought it would, that would be a great time just to grab your boob as I walked through. And, you know, I learned well before we read this book that that was a huge turnoff to you and, or like slapping your butt as I walked past, not, not at all what you were looking for, not that didn't make you think, ooh, I hope we get to go to bed together Well, soon. and then add in all the alcohol. Like, it just... Yes. There's, there's like, no context anymore because the alcohol just takes all of that away. Like, when you're walking through the yeah, kitchen like on no a boundaries, right? Saturday night and I'm working Saturday evening and I'm working on dinner and the kids are fighting and, you know, arguing and you're just oblivious to it all and you walk through, I mean... And slap me on the butt. That makes me just want to turn around and slap you in the face. Yeah. It doesn't make so, you want to be like, oh, let's go to bed early. Yeah. Then I'm like, because then the obliviousness yes. of the intoxicated spouse. Yeah. Yeah. is a big break. Yeah. But there are things that we can do to um, enhance the accelerated side of things, of the sex drive, and to try to avoid the things that create the breaks. Um, and there are things that for, for people with a high sex drive, you can figure out ways to tap those brakes a little bit more and, and avoid some of the acceleration so that you can get into some kind of sync mm -hmm. with your partner or at least get closer. So that was it. You know, those are her key messages or core messages of the book, Come As You Are. And again, you and I highly recommend it. Um, but again, we're also going to say that sobriety has to be something that's in the relationship before any of this is really going to make sense. Too. Yeah, you're wasting your time and if sobriety isn't there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we want to get more information from specifically the second Emily that we talked about, Emily Nagoski. Um, we would love to have her come on this podcast and we've, we've sent her a few invitations and um, we want to ask our listeners to help us. You know, every time we talk about sex on this podcast, we get a lot of emails. We don't get a lot of public commentary, understandably so. It's a very private, private uh, topic. But we get a lot of emails from people. And, and the last time, I think it was episode 99 and, one, and 101, 99 and 101, um, when we were talking about our intimate relationship, we had several, a, num a good number of people that asked us to get a sex expert on the podcast to converse with you and I and let us ask some of the questions that we talk about openly. And I think Emily Nagoski would be the perfect person to have on the podcast. And we've invited her a couple of times, but we want to ask our listeners to jump on the bandwagon and help us encourage Dr. Emily to join us. So if you will go to her website, emilynagoski.com, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, Nagoski, N-A-G-O-S-K-I.com, right on the homepage. You don't even have to like click a bunch of stuff toward the bottom of the homepage. She's got a section, a contact form where she's saying, you know, tell me where you want to hear more from me. And if you use in the subject line, Untoxicated Podcast, 
Um, and then whatever message you want to send, hey, Emily, go talk to these two backward prudish chuckleheads that don't know well, what they're talking about. one of us about. is not prudish. That would be you. Well, I'm and backwards. I consider... I'm the backwards in that. Yeah, you're just backwards. Yeah, but if 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 you as our listener want to take, you know, literally 30 seconds to go on her, her website and recommend that she come on the Intoxicated Podcast, that would be great. I promise there will be extensive preparation for interviewing yes. someone of this caliber. We will have good stuff ready for her. Um, so there's a link to her website in our show notes, but again, it's emilynagoski.com, and we hope you'll help us to try to convince her to come and talk to us. I think it would be great. You know, we, we wanted specifically in this podcast to, to spend the time talking about what we've learned from these experts and not to spend the time talking about our sexual relationship. I know we've, we've done that a lot on this podcast and that's not your favorite topic, Sherry, but I do, I do want to say that, you know, not only through the help of these two Emilys, but just by taking our time and rebuilding trust and, um, and, and letting the recovery and the discovery process unfold the way it's meant to, not rushed over a long period of time, um, think, things I think have gotten a lot better for us in the intimate intimacy department. For you, I think the trust building and the time are huge factors. For me, you know, it's it's amazing to me as as my sobriety got more solid and longer and longer into sobriety, how that, I used that term earlier, I think our listeners know what I'm talking about when I call it the wifely duty kind of sex, the take one for the team, the, you know, you, Sherry, have no interest, but you're willing to do it anyway, that kind of sex. Um, really, really started to make me feel bad about myself and became less and less interesting, less and less of interest to me. And I began to really hold out for the real thing and want want it to be mutual and want it to fit the definition of intimacy and not just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of, you like how classy I am? To yeah, it's like you, classy word, classy word, wham, bam. Wham, bam, thank yes. you, man. I've been wanting to work that in the whole... The whole 50 minutes we've been talking. Um, but that kind of, I mean, and this isn't this isn't me trying to, you know, cover up some of the many, many embarrassing things that I've talked about in this podcast and the shameful things I've talked about and try to sound like, you know, like a better person now. It's, this is 100% true. I have lost interest in, you know, for the most part in the quickie. And I am... Um, you know, even if, even if I have to be more patient, the the true intimate connection is worth so much to me, and I never thought this would happen to me. Um, but the true intimate connection is worth so much to me that I'm willing to wait for it and put in the time outside the bedroom to make the connection feel right. And so, as I've seen. The need in you for trust to build before intimacy can get better, it it kind of matches up really bad with my need to not feel bad about sex anymore, and also uh, be be really interested in the the sex that comes from true intimacy. What do you think about all that? 
That's yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for your elaborate response. I don't know. All right. Sorry. You're you're nodding your head though. Yeah. Yeah. I you, mean, yes. You, you agree. I agree. More or less with yeah. what I said. All right. Well, thanks for for listening to this podcast episode. I think we really should follow the first Emily's lead and name this episode Sex with Sherry and Matt. It's a great title, don't you think? Uh, no. Nobody wants to have that. <laughs> Help us get Dr. Emily Nagoski on the Untoxicated Podcast. Don't forget to check out her website, emilynagoski.com. And tell her to come and talk to us. And while you're there, look into ordering the book Come As You Are. If you're, She has some TED Talks, too. If your relationship is in, uh, in sobriety and you're working on fixing things, uh, that's a heck of a resource for and you. I, and we hope you check it out. I'm just going to put a plug real quick. I think it's a good way to launch your sobriety and search for intimacy because then you become educated and you're not... Because you're not selfish anymore. And I guess that would be my response to what you're saying is you are no longer selfish in bed and um, you would much rather have a better connection than just frequency of making, you know, yourself feel better like you did when you were drunk. Yeah, I mean, in a way it still feels selfish because it's still me. Like, I don't want to do it the way we used to. I'd like to say that it's, it's selfless and I want, I want you know, you to have the same level of pleasure that I have, but really it's, I don't want to feel bad about sex. I want to feel good about it. And so, yes, Mm -hmm. you feeling good about it is a requirement for me to feel good about it. So I guess it is, it's partially mutual, but it's also, it's, it's really important to me, to my self-esteem and to me avoiding the trap of shame Mm -hmm. to not do things that make me feel shameful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for instance, supporting the come and go gas station. I just can't, <laughs> just can't do it. Check it out. Check Sex that out with too. Matt and while, Sherry, while sponsored by Come and Go. Oh, God. <laughs> while you're on the internet, you know, checking things out, like Emily Nagoski's website, look up Come and Go and maybe send us an email if you can find out who authorized that dreadful name and why, or how many dollars in revenue a year it costs them. I'd love to know. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.